0: Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Oh, God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. This has obviously been a very tough time for our nation these last couple of weeks because we've witnessed some major uh, catastrophes. Hurricane Harvey first in Texas and uh, the latest Figures that I saw were 82 people were left dead in the wake of Hurricane Harvey and 150 to 190 billion dollars worth of damage in the Houston area in that region that suffered uh, from Hurricane Harvey, which means if it's a 190 billion dollar figure, that's the, the most expensive, costly uh, natural disaster of all time in the United States. And then Hurricane Irma following quickly after that in Florida and in the Caribbean's 69 deaths. Last I saw have been attributed to Irma. The island of Barbada completely decimated. I read that no there's no living person on the island of Barbada right now. And that's a civilization that has existed. Barbuda. Barbuda? Barbuda. Okay, sorry. Barbuda. (laughs) I got the vowel mixed up there. But there's no living person in the civilization that's existed for 300 years or so. And, uh, you know, if it wasn't for those terrible hurricanes, we'd have heard more about the wildfires in, in the west, out west in Montana, in Idaho, in Oregon. A million acres were burned up out west. And I think it was a record $2 billion sent to help fight those fires. Now, fortunately... We have family in, the, in, the, in Montana out west, and I heard that, fortunately, there's rain now, and it's starting to settle down a little bit, and the snow's beginning to fall. But, you know, when we hear about these disasters, and they just keep coming one right after the other, it raises questions. You think about the, the human suffering involved in this, and it's difficult to make sense of it all. As Christians, we we pray, of course, we pray and we continue to pray for the victims and those who are helping the victims. We send money last week, our church sent money over three hundred, I think it was three hundred forty dollars or so that we sent to the Anglican Relief and Development Fund. It's a little bit that we can do to help. We do what we can to help. But big picture, how do we how do we think about such things? There's lots of theological questions that get raised when we look at these sorts of catastrophes. Well, in, in our gospel reading, Jesus is asked to make a comment about a tragedy that happened, a terrible thing that happened in his day. In fact, in this passage from Luke 13, he comments on two recent tragedies that happened. And what he says here is, is quite jarring. It's, uh, at first glance, it seems pretty insensitive. If Jesus were saying this on a talk show today, he probably wouldn't be invited back. His Twitter account might have been shut down because again, it just seems insensitive. He's speaking to a very large crowd, according to Luke in chapter 12, uh, a thousand, thousands of people had gathered to hear Jesus. So many people that they were trampling on one another. So Jesus is at at the peak, I think, here of his popularity. And he's speaking to the crowd. At some point, somebody tells him about this terrible thing that had happened. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled. With their sacrifices, a gruesome image. Probably what happened, and we're not sure exactly, but probably what happened is some Jewish Galileans led a revolt against Pilate. There were people in Jesus' day called the Zealots, and their mission, their aim was to overthrow the Roman government through violent means. And it seems like Pilate's forces had had slaughtered them, had had killed them in the temple, the temple itself or the temple precincts there in Jerusalem. That's what the phrase blood mingled with their sacrifices suggests. The temple is a place of sacrifice. So surely the people who reported this to Jesus expected him to. Make maybe a sympathetic statement about what happened to these Galileans, these fellow Jews. Maybe they wanted some sort of political comment. Maybe they wanted him to express support for the rebels, or maybe they wanted him to say, well, this is why we shouldn't. Fellow Jews, we shouldn't take up armed action against Pilate. But Jesus doesn't say that at all, does he? He kind of sidesteps what we normally think would be the proper response when he says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? It was part of the popular ideology, the popular thinking that if somebody suffered a terrible fate, then that means they probably were terrible sinners. And um, even after a tragedy here in the United States, sometimes you'll hear people make comments suggesting such a thing. You know, um, maybe God is sending judgment, some people will say, on that part of the country because of what happens there in Miami or in Houston. Or several years ago, I heard people talk about that. And that way, when it came to Katrina in New Orleans, maybe God's sending judgment on New Orleans because it's such a wicked city. I think Jesus uh, dismissed that idea. And and I think he would say to us, do you think that uh, those people of Houston or New Orleans or Miami are worse sinners than you? St. Louisans? He uh, rejects the idea. In this tragedy that God is singling out, people because they're a special class of sinners. God is singling out people for special judgment because they're a special class of sinners. Then Jesus brings up another tragedy that must have been fresh on their minds. They didn't ask him about this, but this must have been a recent event. If it had happened today, it would be on our news channels, maybe on one of those tickers that constantly go at the bottom of our screen. Eighteen people killed when the tower in Siloam collapsed. We know about the Pool of Siloam in Jerusalem. It seems that there was a structure there, a tower that was built, and it collapsed and 18 people tragically died. And Jesus says, do you think that they were worse off, worse offenders than other people in Jerusalem? In both cases, when it came to the Galileans and it came to those people who died when the tower collapsed, In both cases, Jesus' answer is the same. No, those who suffered and died were not worse sinners than you. But then he adds, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. This is one way that we can think about these tragedies, these catastrophes. When these things happen, it wakes us up to what really matters. And Jesus is saying... I don't want you to think about what happened to those people. I want you to think about your own destiny at this time. Don't spend your time wondering why this happened to those people, but get your own spiritual house in order. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. This day of judgment, a day of reckoning, comes for each and every one of us. That's what Jesus is teaching. And from his perspective, the greatest tragedy is, is of course, not the loss of property. And it's not even the loss of physical life. The greatest catastrophe in Jesus' perspective is a soul that perishes. A soul that perishes because it's cut off from the source of life and light, which is God. You know, a plant that is uprooted If it's not planted again in the soil, if it doesn't get the nutrients that it needs, the water and the minerals and the sun, a plant that's uprooted is going to die. And the human soul, which is made in God's image and likeness, made for God, sustained by God, will perish apart from from God, who is the source of life and light. So Jesus is taking the occasion here to warn about the perishing. Of of the human soul. In The Great Divorce, which is C.S. Lewis's parable of heaven and hell, he writes this about the perishing soul. He says this, It's nearly nothing. It is shrunk. Shut up in itself. Good beats upon the perishing soul incessantly as sound waves beat on the ears of the deaf, but they cannot receive it. Their fists are clenched. Their teeth are clenched. Their eyes fast shut. First they will not, in the end they cannot, open their hands for gifts or their mouths for food or the eyes to see. The perishing soul is shrunk and shut up to the good gifts of God. And that's the greatest catastrophe. That's what Jesus is warning about here. Unless we think that this seems to make God into a vindictive God, a God who isn't loving. We have to remember that this is the same Jesus who said, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that anyone who believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. This is why God sent His Son into the world. That anyone believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. And then Jesus goes on and says, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but by through Him, The world might be saved. Jesus is warning about this out of love. Just a few chapters after this, Jesus rides into Jerusalem. And it says that he wept as he rode into Jerusalem because he knew of the judgment that was to come. And he said, Jerusalem, if only you knew what made for peace. But you would not. And so Jesus wept. As I think about the truth that Jesus teaches here. I ask the Lord to give me that same sensitivity to those who are lost, to those who are perishing. It's uh, something I think we should repent of if we think about these things or when we think about these things. We do so in sort of a detached, clinical, intellectual fashion. When Jesus thought about the judgment that was to come on Jerusalem, he wept. And so I think we ought to ask God if our eyes are dry when we think about these things to give us more sensitivity. And, and I asked God for that for myself. But the greatest catastrophe is the soul that perishes. So Jesus says, when you see these terrible things happen, uh, use it as an occasion to think about your own destiny. Get your spiritual house in order. Then after this, He tells the parable of the barren fig tree the fruitless fig tree man has a fig tree planted in his vineyard and this fig tree has been in his vineyard for three years now and i read that a fig tree a healthy normal fig tree in palestine at this time was supposed to produce fruit two times a year but this fig tree after three years still hadn't produced any fruit so the owner of the vineyard said let's just cut it down he lost his, his patience it's wasting space let's cut it down The vine dresser said, well, let's let's give it another chance. Let's put some fertilizer on it. Let's see what happens. And if in a year it produces fruit, great! But if not, then you can cut it down. I think Jesus' point in this parable is that through Him, God is giving people time. God is giving people a chance to respond and to repent to the message of the Gospel. As we read in Isaiah, the God compares Israel to a vineyard. And God sent His Son to this vineyard, to the people of Israel, and to all people. And His Son's word, Jesus' words, His message demands a response. And the proper response, Jesus is saying, the fruitful response is to repent, to turn around from sin and from selfishness and embrace what God is doing in Jesus Christ. Embrace the forgiveness of sins that comes in Christ. Live in the kingdom of God as Jesus, as Lord of your life. That's the proper response. That's the fruitful response. I think the parable of the fruitless fig tree is a parable about the patience of God. Let's give it another year, the vine dresser says. The Apostle Peter said that God is patient. God is not slow to keep His promises as some count slowness to be But He is patient towards you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So God is patient. God is merciful. But God holds people responsible. We are moral and spiritual beings accountable to God. And God holds people responsible for how they respond to Him. How they respond to His Son. And this day of reckoning, this day of judgment comes To all of us. I think we've all been reminded. As we've looked. And seen what's happened in our country. Of the brevity. And the frailty of life. And how life can change on a dime. We have a friend. And a a neighbor that lives just down the street. She was in the Caribbean islands. When the hurricane came through. She was celebrating her 40th birthday. On St. Thomas Island in one of the most posh resorts in the Caribbean. And she was sending us Facebook pictures and Instagram photos of her poolside soaking in the sun. And she was enjoying it a great deal just before the hurricane hit. And then the very next day, she found herself huddled in a closet in her hotel. First floor level of the hotel as the hurricane winds ripped through the hotel, tore off the roof, and the rain started coming in to the hotel. And she said, the way I think about it, it was like being on the Titanic. It must have been like this on the Titanic because the roar of the wind, the water coming down, she heard the pipes twisting and she had to run out of the closet and leap on her bed as the water came up. And she's praying, of course, to be rescued and praying for the mercy of God. And then when the eye of the storm hit, they had time to run from that hotel to get to a better shelter. And they all made it out fine. They all made it out unscathed. But, but she was terrified. But it just reminded her, and it reminds all of us that uh, this life is frail and fragile. And things can change in an instant. These sorts of disasters and tragedies should cause us to make sure that we are ready to meet God and then to think of other people who aren't ready. To think of those that we know, friends and family, who are lost apart from Christ. And to pray for them. And to continue to pray for them and not give up praying for them. That God would reach them with his mercy and grace. And then to pray for opportunities. To share the good news of Jesus Christ with our life and in our words. We just can't lose focus on this church. That God has sent us into this world to make disciples of all people. And to reach the lost. Evangelism has to be part of our DNA. And it has to be something that we continually maintain a focus on a great story by Hayden Robinson who was was a great preacher he was a teacher of preachers and he tells a story it's from Italy a fable of a of a man and his servant and the servant was a thick-headed man really kind of stupid and foolish and the master says to him you're one of the stupidest foolish foolish people i've ever met most foolish people i've ever met here take this staff and i want you to go on a journey And you give this staff to anybody you find more stupid and foolish than you. And to show how stupid this guy was, he took the staff and he went on this journey. And so he was gone for many months. And he encountered some pretty stupid, foolish people. But he could never figure out if they were as bad as he was or certainly worse than he was. So he he came back to the Master. The Master summoned him back and he had the staff and... The master summoned him back to his bedroom. The master was there lying in his bed and he said, Servant, I know you've been on a journey and uh, I'm going on a journey too. And the servant said, Well, uh, when will you be coming back? And the master said, I, I'm not coming back from this journey. Oh, the servant said, uh, Well, have you made preparations for the journey? And the master said, no, I've, I've failed to make preparations. And he said, well, could you have made preparations? Did you have time? And the master said, well, I, I've had my whole life, but I never got around to it. No, I, I didn't make preparations. And so the servant said, well, let me get this straight. You are going on a journey. You're not prepared. You've had time to prepare. You've had your whole life to prepare. You could have prepared. And he took the staff that he'd been carrying around for a month, months or more, and he said, sir, here you go. At last I've met a man more foolish than myself. You know, this life is a journey into eternity. And the Lord Jesus offers us safe passage Through His death and through His resurrection, He offers us safe passes to God. And He's offered a way of repentance and faith through Him so that we won't perish but have everlasting life. And we can be so grateful that He's shown us the way. But there are many, many people who don't know the way. God in His mercy has given us time to get ready and to help others too. So let's not delay. Let's not lose focus on that. Amen.